Four, three, and some Hebrews. Hebrews 13, verses 1 to 3. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing. Continue to remember those in prison as if you yourself, you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. So it would be good if the kids could come up the front. If you can't last the whole time, you can go back up the back for a while. Come down the front. I've actually got some things that you might want to see in a little while. I can't promise it's exciting. Someone said exciting. It might be exciting. You never know. And if you've got one of these, kids, which thankfully you do. Good. I brought a few extras, but you've managed remember to get your own. We are on page five. And we're at the part in the service that we talked about where we read the Bible and then we think about what it means for us. And we heard from the letter of Hebrews. We're spending a number of weeks in chapter 13 of Hebrews. And what we have here is a list of instructions of how to follow Jesus. And um, if you've been here and you've been hearing all of Hebrews, it might seem a bit random to you, this list, because the rest of the book, the writer has been exploring these very big ideas and um, lofty themes about God and his character and how Jesus fits into that and who he is and who we are in light of all this. But it's um, actually quite a common pattern of teaching the Bible and you might have noticed that that passage from Deuteronomy, there was a similar thing happening, talking about the story of Israel and who God was and how he'd rescued them and how he was welcoming new people into Israel and how they would be like that. And so this is what we have in Hebrews chapter 13. And the people who first received this letter would have also known Deuteronomy. They were descendants of Abraham. And the Kresh kids have been hearing about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and his brothers, and the people who first read this letter were from that family tree, but a long time after, in the time of Jesus, or a bit after the time of Jesus. So they knew this, they would have heard these words, and they would have recognised them as old instructions. They'd come up a lot in the Bible, and Jesus himself talked about all these things. So we've got three verses to look at today. And they're very practical. And I'm going to be unabashedly giving you lots of ideas about how to live this out. And I don't want you to feel overwhelmed. I want to say to you that you are not Jesus. And I am not Jesus. We are limited and finite people. But we are loved by Jesus. And his spirit is at work in us, changing us and giving us new ideas about how to follow in his footsteps. So let's be gracious to ourselves and one another and open to change. So let's have a look. Verse 1. Verse 1 says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Last week upstairs, I think it was Eloise, made a very interesting comment, a very smart comment. She said, Everybody here is a kid. And she didn't mean everybody up there. She meant everybody here. She was speaking from the Bible. She's right, isn't she? The Bible says we are all God's children. And so this verse is reminding us of that, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is our brother and we are called to love one another. 
In our family, you say, we say, you don't get a choice about loving your brother and sister. It's not a choice. You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And that is what it's like for the church. And so I want to ask you a question. When you come to church on a Sunday, what is your thinking? Who do you look for when you come into the building? Are you looking for your friends? Or are you looking for your family, God's family? Well, it's okay to look for our friends, and lots of you nodded when I said that, so I don't want to be too hard on that. But I want to make a point. If you look for our, your friends, you're going to limit yourself. You're going to be looking for people who are like you, the ones you've known for a long time, the ones you feel comfortable with, the ones you're at the same age or stage as. And you might look past other people, people who are part of God's family, who are your brother or sister in Christ. But when we come to church and see ourselves as a family gathering and try to love each other, we will start to see the needs of other people. We will start to see new people. We might start to pitch in more and help around the place. We might join a roster or a team and start serving other people. Kids, if we see each other as brothers and sisters, we'll be more careful with each other, I think. I think we'll say sorry more quickly and forgive when it's our turn to forgive. We'll be drawn to pray for each other. We'll notice when someone is sick or sad and we'll understand that there are going to be good times in our church and bad times and exciting times and boring times. Happy times and sad times. It's a rich experience to be part of God's family, but it's not always easy. Now, that's the first bit. Now, I think these three verses do something a bit like when we thought about who is our neighbour. I think they go out in circles. So we love one another as God's children. And then the next verse says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Right. So we love one another, and then we show hospitality to strangers. Now... Showing hospitality, that's a big word. Basically, it means making some space. Inviting people to your house. Not just your friends, but people that you don't know. So making some space and some time to get to know and meet the needs of people that you don't already know. And usually, it involves eating together, which is good, isn't it? We like doing that. And the church who first received this letter, they would have met in someone's home. They would have met around a meal. And as people came to know and follow Jesus, they would have come into someone's home and been welcomed as family. It's a different kind of church. And sometimes if someone like Paul came to town, he would have been given a room to sleep in and they would have looked after him. That was showing hospitality to strangers. Well, we meet in a school, don't we? Our church is a bit different. This school is like our home when we come here. And we need to show hospitality to people who come and join us. Our church is not very old. It's only three and a half years old. So I want to make a point. If you've been here for over a year now, you are a well-established member of our church. If you've come in the last 12 or even six months or even today for the first time, you're not alone. There are lots of people like you. New people, 
Strangers are arriving here every week and many of them are staying. And we thank God for that. Thank God for our family here. But it's very important that we take this verse seriously, isn't it? We need to welcome and show hospitality to strangers. Sometimes I've heard people say, I'm too embarrassed to talk to someone who I think is new because maybe they've been here longer than me and I'm not sure. Have you ever felt that way? I want to say to us, let's forget about that. If that happens to you, have a laugh, laugh it off, and recognise that the person you don't know is a stranger to you and start to get to know them. We need to be a little bit brave. And if you're here and you're feeling on the outer edges of things, I want to ask you to remember that feeling. Because as you become more and more part of our church, you'll forget that feeling. But it's a feeling to remember so that you can be a good welcomer as well. And we do some good things in our church, don't we, to show hospitality? We, some people come early and make sure that they are praying or welcoming people who are new. We have community groups where people meet and have meals. And those are great places to start inviting other people to, even people who haven't been here on a Sunday. We have um, people who go out for coffee after church and invite new people. And if you want to do that, then talk to one of the young adults. I think they call themselves the young adults. I'm going to go one week and they're going to get a big shock. Um, and then there are things like playgroup. Now, playgroup is really geared towards hospitality. What have I got? This is the symbol of playgroup. Because <laughs> we eat these at both playgroups every week. And we're going to eat them now. Maybe not the adults. <laughs> I only got two packets. Someone open those and share them around. And we, we make a space. We put out toys. We welcome people from the community who come to play. We talk, about each, we talk to each other about ourselves. We get to know each other. And we eat together. And often the best conversations happen in the eating and the seaweed cracker or the... I knew this was going to happen. I wanted it to happen. The rustling, the sharing, the passing around is part of playgroup. And we do that especially when we sit and listen to the stories. We eat the crackers. Who would like one? I'm going to have a drink of water. No, thanks. <laughs> All right. I think oh, one of the great things we do here is morning tea. Most churches do morning tea. I want to say morning tea is one of the most important things we do on a Sunday. If you don't stay for morning tea, I want to encourage you to do that because that is the place and time where you will get to know people over food. And some of you today might realise that joining the morning tea roster is probably one of the most important jobs you could do in our church. Creating a space, providing food, encouraging people to stay after church and get to know each other and incorporate them into the family. Years ago, a friend of mine who I was going to church with, she was basically solo parenting on a Sunday morning. She had young kids. And she said to me, I'm going to tell you what I do, what my plan for church is every week. She said, I don't think I'm going to be in the service the whole time. I very rarely hear a sermon, but I do two things every week. I find someone I know really well, and I find out how they're going. Not just how was your week, but how are you going? How's your faith? How can I pray for you? And then the second thing she did was she found someone that she didn't know very well. 
and she got to know them a little bit better over a cup of tea at morning tea. They were her two goals every week. They're tiny goals, but imagine if we did that every week, the impact that would have. And I saw great things happening out of that little plan that my friend had. Now, kids, I'm not asking you to go and talk to all the strange people here that you don't know. That's not actually your job, and I want you to be safe. And I'm going to let your parents guide your families as you welcome people into your homes. But I want to ask you and the adults to start to think of yourselves as includers and not excluders. And I think you know what I'm talking about. If you go to school or kinder, you will know that there are some kids who love to have their own special group of their own friends and then they decide who gets to play with them. Do you know what I mean? They're the excluders. Because that hurts, doesn't it, when you're not involved, invited to play. And sometimes we try to we kind of be like that too because we want to have our group too if they've got their group and so on. I want us to be like Jesus. Have you noticed when you read the stories of Jesus that he was an includer? He welcomed all kinds of people to eat with him and talk with him and hang out with him. And we can be like that. And you kids, I think, are already good at this. But I want you to start thinking more about it. You can do it at school or playgroup or kinder, but you can especially do it here. If there's a new kid, then include them. If you're upstairs and you notice someone's new, ask them to sit with you on the mat. Yeah? Involve them in your playtime afterwards. Tell them your name. Ask them their name. Ask them how old they are. Whatever you want to know, that's up to you. You can be includers. Now, did you notice something strange about hospitality in that verse? It looks like I've avoided talking about it, doesn't it? It says, show hospitality to strangers because some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Yes? Actual angels. Actual angels? Yeah, I think it means actual angels. I don't know that I've ever shown hospitality to... Or is it an expression? Angel, angels, or is it an expression? Great question. Well, I think he's thinking about maybe the story in Genesis when Abraham and Sarah invited some people into their home and gave them a meal and they turned out to be actual angels. And there are stories like that in the Bible. You might think of other people who were visited by angels and they didn't know. But I think it's actually pretty rare. If you've had an angel visit you at your home, let me know. You guys are lovely, but I don't think I've identified any actual angels among you in my home. But I think the point is, and we get it from Hebrews, because the writers of the Hebrew talks about angels a lot. They're a bit obsessed with angels. And in chapter 1, the writer wrote, What are angels then? They are spirits who serve God and are sent by him to help those who are to receive salvation. So angels are heavenly servants of God who come and bring good news. And I think maybe the reason that they've talked about this is to show us that hospitality is sometimes good for everyone. In fact, sometimes it's even better for the person who's showing hospitality than the person receiving it. Have you ever experienced this, that you've invited someone over for a meal and you've had such a great time, you've heard their story, This has happened a lot when people have come here from church to my house. I've heard how God is at work in their life and it's been a real blessing to me. 
I think this is what the writer is talking about. Hospitality sounds draining. I don't have time, I'll have to cook something, I'll have to yeah, give up something for this. But actually, it's a very enriching thing. It's fun, it is fun. There's a book. Am I allowed to recommend a book? Yes. There's a book that really changed the way I think about hospitality called A Meal with Jesus. And it's by Tim Chester. And Tim Chester goes through the book of Luke and he points out that Jesus came with a really important mission to seek and to save the lost. But the way he did it was by eating with people. He was a chronic eater. Chronic. If you read through Luke, you'll notice this now. Meal after meal after meal. And people criticise Jesus and his friends. You guys are gluttons and drunkards. But this is the way Jesus did his ministry. By meeting people, by getting to know them, by talking to them over the table. If you want to think about that, I've got a couple of copies that you can borrow. And I think a really key thing here to remember too is that Jesus just didn't meet with the good people, the polite people, the religious people. He met with the people that other people didn't like, that people called sinners, all right? Poor people. Jesus said he came for those kinds of people and he loved them and he ate with them around the table. He didn't just pity them. He sat and ate and laughed and they had a great time together and they came to follow him. Life-changing meals. And let's remember that we are that family that meets around the table and extend God's grace to other people. You guys are doing really well. Verse 3. So we've had love one another, show hospitality to strangers, and now the next circle, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Well, the church who received this letter has had experienced mistreatment themselves. If you remember chapter 10, it says... You were at times publicly insulted and mistreated. You shared the sufferings of prisoners, and when all your belongings were seized, you endured your loss gladly. Some of them were indeed in prison. At the end of chapter 13, the writer says, By now you must surely know that our friend Timothy is out of jail. Their friend Timothy's been in jail. This instruction in verse 3 is closely connected to the people who received this. They knew and loved people who had been put in jail for their faith and they themselves had suffered significant mistreatment or persecution for following Jesus. So it wouldn't have been hard for them to remember them, would it? To pray for them, to organise, to look after them. They already had a deep sympathy for those in that situation. Now in our church here, we know all kinds of suffering too. But the sufferings of being mistreated or imprisoned for our faith is pretty remote for us. For most of us, I'm guessing it's just not part of our experience. But that doesn't mean that we should overlook it. We need actually to listen and learn more about it. Open Doors Ministry to the persecuted church around the world estimates that at the moment approximately 215 million Christians are experiencing high levels of persecution for following Jesus. That's a lot, isn't it? And those Christians are calling on the rest of God's family to support and to pray for them. But it's so easy to forget them. 
I know that I get so consumed with my life and my own busyness. And this is something that's on my heart, and I confess that I can go a long time without thinking or praying for these people. I love the sorry prayer that we said today to God. Do you know the one? It's like a poem, isn't it? What does it say? The first two lines. It says, O Lord, the house of my soul is narrow. Enlarge it that you may enter in. And I'm sorry if I ruined that prayer for you, but when I think of that, I always think of a balloon. I got one. All right. Balloons are not much fun when they look like this, are they? You can't do much with them. And when we say this prayer, I think about my soul being like a balloon that hasn't yet been blown up. We will blow it up later because I'm scared it might pop and I have a phobia of popping balloons. (laughs) And when we pray that prayer, what we're saying to God is, my soul is shriveled up and I need your spirit to blow through it and blow it up big so that I have room to love and care for other people. Because when we say the sorry sin, we're really talking about being selfish and not seeing the needs of other people. Our souls are like this, aren't they? I think when Mia and Tom were speaking before, we could see that their souls are being blown up a bit by the Spirit of God. And they talked about how it wasn't necessarily a nice experience all the time. So when we ask and pray God this prayer, we might start to see things around us that are not pleasant, might make us realise things about our own lives that need changing in order to care for other people. And I extend this verse 3 to not just be about the persecuted church, but to be about all kinds of people who are at the margins of our community. Talks about people in prison. Ross, if you want to know about prison fellowship ministry, talk to Ross. We've heard from Ross before. And there are many people in our church, one of the reasons I love our church is that there are people in our church who have a heart for particular groups of marginalised people, asylum seekers, the global poor, disabled, mental illness, all kinds of things, and that's a whole other ten sermons there, isn't it? So I'm not going to keep going. But I want to say to you people who have experience and hearts for particular groups of people to lead us, like Tom and Mary have done today, to initiate learning among us, to help us enlarge our souls so that God's spirit will enlarge it and we can have hearts and know what to do, how to pray. Show us how to pray. I don't know if you noticed the picture on the front. I'm just going to finish up with this of the new sheep. Oh, not the new sheep. It's actually our order of service. It's a beautiful painting. It's actually quite a big painting. And it's called... Womanjeka, which you might know means welcome. And it's painted by Safina Stewart, who is an Indigenous artist, um, who was commissioned to do this for one community church in Blackburn. And there is a Vimeo video, if you want to look that up, of her talking about this painting. But it's a beautiful painting of welcome. It's meant to express welcome in the church. And if we look at it, we can see the big circle with all the hands. The hands are the church. They're not perfect handprints. They're the handprints of the limited, finite people that make up the body, God's family. And then flowing out is the Yarra River, those lines that flow out. 
that's the life-giving streams of God, of Jesus. Remember, Jesus talked about how he is the living water. And the little creeks are there too, like the Merry Creek. And then what else is there? The gum leaves. If a Wurundjeri elder welcomes you to the land, you receive a gum leaf. So the gum leaves are welcome. And I think of our church that we could be like this, that there are people who can lead us in all kinds of ways to welcome all kinds of people. And we should pray about that. And we shouldn't feel overwhelmed. We should ask God to put in our hearts particular ways that we can join in that. So let me pray. Our loving God, you welcome us first. You welcome us into your family. You've forgiven us and we are free now to love other people. We pray that your spirit would come into our hearts and grow us, grow us to see the needs of the people right here, of our family, of those who walk through the door as visitors, of those who are out there that we don't often see but we know need help and need your love. And we pray that you would help us to walk in the footsteps of Jesus as we think about these things. And we pray in his name. Amen.